Listen now for the word of God. It's so simple, but don't miss it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would speak through me today and pour through me the gift of preaching, that these words might not simply be my human words or human opinions, but by a miracle of your grace, these words might become your living word to us. And I pray that every child or teenager or young adult or adult who hears them would never be the same again. May these words inspire us to become all you want us to be. And we know these words will inspire us, for we pray with boldness and anticipation, and we pray in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus Christ, who's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. The balcony of the church I served in New Providence, New Jersey, went all the way around the sanctuary on three sides. There was an unwritten rule that the junior high school kids sat in the balcony to my left and the high school kids sat in the balcony to my right. Well, one year during the Olympic Games, everybody was riveted to the TV watching the United States compete against other nations in a thrilling Olympic Games. We were also watching the gymnastics competition where after a gymnast would perform, the electronic scoreboard would put up a score for that gymnast. 9.1, 9.2, 9.3. I was preaching a sermon series called Running the Race of Faith, and everybody was, was at the, listening to the sermon series and also watching the Olympic Games. So one day after I finished one of those sermons on Running the Race of Faith, I looked up into the right balcony and saw that people were laughing and, and moving around, and there were people laughing in the congregation, and I wondered, what is going on? We were singing the final hymn after my sermon, and I looked up into the balcony, and one kid had a big sheet of poster board and written on it, 9.8. <laughs> Somebody else had a sign up there that said 9.9. .9. Somebody else had a sign after my sermon that said 10.0. I was feeling really good about these evaluation of my sermon. And then I realized all of these kids were going into their senior year of high school. And every one of them had asked me to write a recommendation for them for college. <laughs> then one of the uh, senior high advisors held up his sign, 2.4. We excommunicated him shortly after that. Well, the professor and author Carlisle Marnie has employed that term balcony people to make a profound theological point. Marnie says that inside every one of us is the desire to be blessed, to be a person of worth, a person of significance. And by the grace of God, God has placed people in our balcony to cheer us on and tell us that we can believe in ourselves and we can do it and we have gifts and skills and abilities we didn't know we had. And balcony people help us to become who we are. And Marty gives these people a delightful name, balcony people who sit in the balcony of our life and help us become who we were meant by God to be. Now, 
On this rainy Sunday morning, I'd like to take a walk with every one of you at Independent Church, with umbrellas, of course, and I'd love to ask you the question, two questions. Who has been a balcony person in your life? And secondly, I'd like to ask you, in whose balcony are you sitting? When I ask you who's been a balcony person in your life, I'll bet I would hear about grandparents or parents or Sunday school teachers or youth group advisors, somebody who maybe gave you your first start in business, somebody who took a chance on you when you were 23 or 25 years old and hired you and gave you a prominent position and you never dreamed you'd become who you are today, but that person was a balcony person and they believed in you when you were very young. Who's been a balcony person in your life, a Sunday school teacher who taught you about the faith in Jesus Christ? And in whose balcony are you sitting? Because every one of the people here at Independent Presbyterian Church this morning, you're a congregation of influence. Just think of all the people over the years that you have hired, Think of all the people you've supervised. Think of all the people that you have managed. Think of all the people for whom you have been a mentor. Think of all the people who you gave a start in life. You hired them when they were young and they didn't think they could do it, but you believed in them. So you've been a balcony person in their life. But Almighty God doesn't want us to just think about the balcony people that we've known physically. In the beautiful passage that Susan read for us from Hebrews chapter 11, there are all these other balcony people. In fact, Hebrews 11 expands our balcony to include people like Abraham and Sarah. And they went out not knowing where they were to go. They're sitting in our balcony. So any time in your life and mine, when we're not sure where we're gonna go, Abraham and Sarah are sitting in our balcony saying, come on, you can do it, they're cheering us on. And the people who crossed the Red Sea, they didn't know whether they could go forward and they couldn't go back to Egypt and they were caught in the middle and God opened a path for them right through the middle of the Red Sea. Well, they're in our balcony. And when we face a time in our life when we can't go forward and we can't go backward, God will open a way in the wilderness and they're in, they're in our balcony and they're cheering us on. Stick with God and God will open a way. And what was fascinating about this text Susan read, did you notice it? That these all died in faith, not knowing that they were gonna be fulfilled. They hadn't experienced the, the fulfillment of their promise because apart from us, they would not be fulfilled. In other words, we are tied with all these saints who have gone before us. They're not experiencing their fulfillment apart from us. So we're connected with them in this great cloud of witnesses. This is what the kingdom of God is gonna be like. All these great cloud of witnesses together. And then we'll say, aha, so that's why that happened. Maybe Abraham was cheering for me. Maybe the people of the Red Sea were cheering for me. Aha, so maybe that's how it all comes together. This is this enormous great cloud of witnesses. I hope when you leave this sanctuary today, you will claim, as I'm trying to claim, the reality that we are all balcony people. And God is calling us out to become the balcony people and influence others so that they might become all they were meant to be. And God has actually put you and me in people's lives so that we can encourage them to be and do their best. If you'd be a balcony person, there are three things you must remember. First, they're all in the scripture for today. Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. So, what is holding you back? What is the thing that's weighing you down? Is there a behavior pattern or a habit 
or something in your life, anger, resentment, bitterness, fear, worry, anxiety, what is holding you back? Is there anything you wish you'd never said or anything you wish you'd never done that's holding you back? I love the story of the Roman Catholic priest who went to the microphone at the start of the worship service and he was about to say, the Lord be with you, and the people would always respond, and also with you. But this particular Sunday, he got to the microphone, he's about to say, the Lord be with you, and they're gonna say, and also with you. But the microphone wasn't working, so he said, the microphone is malfunctioning. There's something wrong with this microphone, and the people responded, and also with you. <laughs> be very sure that Christian life begins when we recognize there's something wrong with us. When we realize we need God, we can't do it on our own. Anytime we think we can do it on our own, we are sadly mistaken. And life has a way of teaching us spiritual lessons. So have you come to the realization yet in your life, have I come to it in my life, that we need God? There's something wrong with us. Until we come to that realization, we won't put our ultimate trust in God. Things will weigh us down until we can give them to God. Lay aside every weight and sin that is clinging so closely. My friend George McCausland in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania needed to let go of some things that were weighing him down. He, George McCausland was a workaholic. Anybody relate to that? He worked 70 hours a week, 75 hours a week. He had, he was managing the largest YMCA in the United States of America. It was growing numerically, it was growing financially, it was growing in every way. He couldn't hardly keep up with it. He was working faster and faster and going harder and harder. And, and at the age of 47, managing this incredible YMCA, 47 years old, he has a heart attack and almost died. Well, when he was recovering, his doctor said to him, George, you're so fortunate you didn't die. I thought you were a goner, but you've got to cut down your workload. You cannot keep working 70, 75, 80 hours a week. You've got to stop, George. You can't do this. And George said, but I'm, I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. I got all these people depending on me. And this YMCA is great. I got to keep, keep it going. And the doctor said, well, if you keep working like this, within a year, your wife is going to be a widow and your children aren't gonna have a father. So the choice is yours, George. You either cut back your workload or you're gonna die within a year, I think. So George McCausland did a complete reassessment of the priorities of his life. He went home and sat on his porch in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He took out a pen and a sheet of paper and he wrote God a letter. Dear God, I hereby resign as general manager of the universe, love George. And George McCausland said, wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. <laughs> Is there anybody here at Independent Church in Birmingham, Alabama, who relates to that? Anybody who needs to resign as general manager of the universe? Anybody think it all depends on you and me? We're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. What the author of Hebrews is saying is, we can't be balcony people in other people's lives. We can't call out the best in other people if we are carrying a burden that's weighing us down. So the first thing we've got to do if we'd be balcony people is lay aside every weight and sin that's clinging so closely. The second thing we've got to do is run with perseverance the race that is set before us. What is the name of the race that you are running? There may be some college students here who 
go to UAB or Alabama or Samford or one of these great colleges in this area, but you're a college student and sometimes you want to tend to get into partying or, or skipping class or not reading all the books and, and maybe God is saying to you, run with perseverance, the race is set before us, go to the classes. Do the reading, make it a priority, because you don't want to be a lawyer who didn't get all the classes and all the knowledge you need to defend your clients. You don't want to be running a company if you skip courses in finance and mathematics when you could be advising your clients and giving them good advice, but maybe you skipped those classes or you weren't in class that day or you never read that book. You don't want to be a doctor operating on someone and you miss some important classes You've got to run with perseverance, college students. The race that is set before you. And I hate to mention this, but I know there's some here who are running a very difficult race. If you've got a family member who's an alcoholic or addicted to drugs, opioids, you may be going to meetings or they may be going to meetings, 30 meetings in 30 days, 60 meetings in 60 days, 90 meetings in 90 days. That is not an easy race to run. If you're the person doing facing it or if you're in the family, that is not an easy race to run. But God says run with perseverance that race and then when that race is finished, when you've gotten through that, God will give you another race to run. And I just hate to even bring this up, but there are some here who may be running the race of having dementia in your family. It may be just starting, or some have full-blown Alzheimer's. Maybe it's your mom or dad, or maybe it's your sibling, or maybe it's your husband or your wife or a friend. And if you're trying to run a race with Alzheimer's in it, you know it's one of the most challenging, difficult races you can ever run. It is not easy, but we need to get the strength from God to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And we don't compare our race to somebody else's race. It's very easy to look over at somebody else's race and say, why couldn't I be running that race? And you even try to run that race. But God has set before you your race. He wants you to run with perseverance and excellence your race. And then later on, you'll be asked to run another race. There's a man named Tony Campolo. He's a wonderful speaker. He's an internationally known author and evangelist. And but years ago, when he realized he had the gift of preaching and he was going all over the world preaching as an evangelist, he and his wife Peggy made the decision, they had little children, Bart and Lisa, that it was best if Peggy were to stay home and be a, a full-time mom. She was very gifted, very bright. She knew she had a, a, a future as a, in a career in America, but they thought for those particular years, those child-rearing years, Peggy would stay home with the children. But one night they were at a party and, and Peggy, said to someone, someone asked her what she did, she said, oh, I don't do anything. I'm just a wife and a mother. And Tony on the drive home said, honey, is that really the way you feel that being a wife and mother is doing nothing? And she said, honey, I think raising our two children in the Christian faith and giving them a good, solid home and good values, it is the most important thing anybody could ever do. And being your wife, you're an internationally known author and evangelist, and, and I'm supporting you. That is an important work. But when I meet these women, and some of them are CEOs of a company, or they're a high-powered attorney, or they're a doctor or a dentist, I think, gosh, you know, what am I really doing? And he said, well, why don't you come up with something that will help them realize how important your work of being a wife and a mother really is? So the next time they were at a cocktail party, and someone said to Mrs. Campolo in a rather condescending voice, and my dear, what is it that you do? Tony heard, heard his wife say, well, I'm nurturing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition. 
so that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia God envisioned from the beginning of time. And what do you do? And the woman said, oh, I'm just a lawyer. Be very sure, don't compare your race with somebody else's race. Everybody's got a race to run. For some, it's being a lawyer. For some, it's being a young mom. For some, it's being CEO of a company. For some, it's being a granddad. Don't compare your race with somebody else's race. Run your race with perseverance, college students or CEOs. But then there will come a time in your life when you'll be asked to run another race and then another race. Run with perseverance, the race that is set before us. Don't compare your race to somebody else's race. And the third thing we must do if we're gonna be balcony people, lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, run with perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. You know, when I was Kevin and Rebecca's pastor in New York City, I met them before they got married and actually had the privilege of performing their wedding. And we had lots of young single people like Kevin and Rebecca coming to Fifth Avenue Church in New York City on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street. So I would try to have sermon titles that would attract people to come to church. I always tried to figure out how to get young adults and young people who, who aren't church people to come in and, and try the church and, and try a relationship with God. I was always working at that. So I would have sermon titles like The Power of a Tommy Hilfiger Label or Starbucks Spirituality. I was just looking for ways to get them in the door, you know? And one of my favorite sermon titles was who could you call at two o'clock in the morning? But I didn't figure what that would look like on the signboard at Fifth Avenue Church where 100,000 people walk down that sidewalk every day. So imagine my shock when I walk across the street, Fifth Avenue, on the Monday before the Sunday, I'm gonna preach the next sermon. And on the signboard it read, who could you call at two o'clock in the morning? The Reverend Dr. Thomas K. Toole. Fortunately, my cell number wasn't there. But who could you call at two o'clock in the morning? I mean, really, is there a person you could call? I hope so, but, but I hope the one you could most of all call is Jesus Christ. Do you have the kind of relationship with God where you could call upon God, you could call on Jesus at two o'clock in the morning and know that God would be with you to give you comfort or strength or healing or contentment in the midst of a very tough thing you're struggling with. Do you remember the football game in January, just two months ago, DeMar Hamlin was a defensive back for the Buffalo Bills, you remember this? And he made a tackle in the middle of a Monday night football game and, and the medics all came out in the field and we wondered what was going on and then we realized that they were doing CPR on this football player in January of this year and they're trying to save his life and they weren't sure they were gonna save it and those big football players, enormous guys, six foot five and six foot seven and 350 pounds, they were weeping like little children and, and they all took a knee and they surrounded DeMar Hamlin and the doctors who were working on him and they tried, were trying to give them some privacy. But did you also notice 
how many people were praying. And those of us watching that Monday night football game started praying too. But, but what I think was so interesting, Dan Orlovsky is an ESPN reporter. He does a wonderful job. He's a great analyst of football. But the next day he was so broken up about DeMar Hamlin and he said, I hope we're all praying for DeMar and his family. And he's really in critical condition and we don't know if we're gonna, he's gonna make it. And then he said, you know, I haven't asked my producer about this. I haven't talked to anybody about this, but I just feel led to pray right now on national television. And then he said, would you all bow your heads with me? And the people in the studio all bowed their heads and those of us at home all bowed our heads. And Dan Orlovsky pointed people to Jesus and he prayed to Jesus and he asked God to heal Damar and his family and give him strength. And right there on national television and as soon as he finished the prayer and said amen social media went nuts and social media all these people were saying to espn that was the most meaningful thing we've ever seen on espn dan orlovsky led us in prayer dear mr orlovsky could you teach me how to pray people were writing thousands of notes to orlovsky and espn saying it was the most wonderful thing because where do you turn at two o'clock in the morning? Where do you turn when you need CPI in the middle of a football game? Where do you turn when a guy's life's in the balance? Where does his family turn when he's got nowhere else to turn and they don't know whether he's gonna survive to even be carted off the field of the hospital? They thought he might've died in that moment. Where do you turn when you face that kind of moment or when I face that moment? Who are we gonna to turn to? Who could you call at two o'clock in the morning? Can you call Jesus? See, what God is asking us to do is to reach out to our ultimate balcony person, Jesus Christ. There are many people in our balcony, humanly, who have impacted us, and they're wonderful. And Abraham and Sarah and all these great saints are in our balcony. The people who cross the Red Sea, they're in our balcony. They're encouraging us on. But ultimately, the one person we can call at 2 o'clock in the morning when the bottom falls out of our life, we've got nowhere else to turn, is Jesus. And he's always there. He's available 24-7. Someday, I think we're going to meet all of our balcony people. And we're going to meet Jesus. I think entering the kingdom of heaven, I love sports, so I think entering the kingdom of heaven is like walking up the 18th fairway at Augusta National Golf Club during the Masters Golf Tournament. And you look into the crowd and you see people on the side and you say, oh, oh, there's Abraham and, and Sarah. Oh, there's somebody who crossed the Red Sea. There's Moses. Gosh, there's the Apostle Paul and Peter and Lydia. Oh, there's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've always wanted to meet Bonhoeffer. Gosh, there's, there's John Calvin who wrote the prayer for the, the, the prayer that we prayed this morning of confession. I've always wanted to meet John. I've loved John. And oh, gosh, there's, there's Scott McClure. Scott was a pastor here at Independent. There he is. Oh, gosh, I love that guy. There's Mike Goodrich's father. I love Mike, and I, by nature, loved his father. Oh, gosh, there, there's Jim Long, Kevin Long's dad. I always love that guy. And then we'll walk up onto the green, and, and Jesus will be there, our ultimate balcony person. He will reach out his arms to us and he'll say the seven words that are the only words in all the world worth living for. Well done, my good and faithful servant. My dear new friends at Independent Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, those 
are the only words in all the world worth living for. Are we going to hear them at the end of our life? God's counting on you and me to be balcony people, to not only honor the people who have gone before us and believe in Jesus Christ and, and be encouraged on the way, but God wants us, like Dan Orlovsky did, to point to Jesus and pray and, and lead other people to know Jesus and be balcony people in the lives of other people as we go out of this place. But if we're going to be the balcony people God's called us to be, then we've got to lay aside every weight and sin that's clinging so closely We've got to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, not somebody else's race, the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, our ultimate balcony person, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Don't ever forget it. Amen.